In a world where one woman locks herself inside a quiet studio and doesn't come out until the podcast is done, welcome to Spotlight Conversations with Donna Reed, a place you can get connected with Donna and her friends and listen in on some great conversation. Thankfully, unlike the intro you just heard, it's a drama-free zone. You're welcome. Now, as we listen to a bit of music from the amazing Mark Sparrow to lead us in, it's my pleasure to introduce the one, the only, Donna Reed. Getting in the holiday spirit today with Ira David Wood, actor, author, playwright, theater director for Theater in the Park, a community theater in Raleigh, North Carolina. Welcome. Thank you for being a part of the podcast today. Great to be here. Scrooge. It's something you've made just so personal. A Christmas Carol, this is what you do with with, uh, the theater group every year. How did you come up with making that story into a musical? The first time I ever saw uh, the Nutcracker Ballet, uh, I was a student at the School of the Arts, and when the curtain came down, I couldn't get up. I, I was just wiped out by seeing a, a ballet. It was my first ballet I'd ever, I'd ever seen. And I was just in awe of how the audience reacted to it as a holiday show. And I think I knew that moment that I wanted to be a part of something like that. The next year I did Drosselmeyer for them and we toured. In fact, my first appearance in Memorial Auditorium in Raleigh was in the Nutcracker as, as Dr. Drosselmeyer. So uh, skip forward a bit, uh, 1974 at Theater in the Park, we had done uh, Romeo and Juliet, Taming of the Shrew, and when Christmas time rolled around, we wanted to do a Christmas show, and Shakespeare had not penned one, so we, we went to the next best English author, which in our opinion was Charles Dickens, and uh, we just took a lot of the dialogue right out of the book. I knew that I wanted to make it a musical comedy mm-hmm. just to give it, a, give it a different twist. I thought it would be easier for the audience to identify with Scrooge okay. if he wasn't the morose kind of character that Dickens made him out to be. Our Scrooge delights in wrecking Christmas. He just had so much fun that I thought that was a way for the audience to, to find the character more accessible because if they did that, they could identify with him more and make the transformation along with him by the end of the play, right. feeling better about Christmas and leaving the show happier and, and more willing and ready to celebrate the holiday season. So that's really how it kicked off. Did you have a relative that was like that about Christmas time? I mean, where did you get the idea where it wouldn't be so, it wouldn't be the Ebenezer Scrooge that we're all familiar with? You want the audience to identify with the character. Yeah, so they can go along with the story. And I thought it was much easier and and made him more accessible if you could laugh at him. Mm-hmm. Because once you're laughing, you've kind of surrendered and you're you're more willing to go where the director and the playwright want to take you, particularly if you identify. You know, so by the end of the play, when he's made his transformation, you have two in the audience without maybe even realizing it. And over the 48 years that we've been playing, wow. that's that's the delightful feedback that we get from people. A grandfather who brought his entire family to see the show, they, they arrived in a, a minivan they had rented 
a 12 seater, I think. Uh-huh. And after the show, they all piled back in the van. It, Granddad was driving and he just sat behind the wheel for a few minutes and he didn't start the van. And finally, his son said, Dad, what is it? He was sitting there. He turned around to the family in that van. He said, you know what? I've been a Scrooge for the past year. <laughs> and he said, I'm not going to do that anymore. We're going to have the best Christmas we've ever had. So when you get a story like yeah. that coming back, you know you've, you've done the right thing and you've made him accessible and made him easier for people to identify with. Because nobody wants to identify with, a you know, this morose, clutching, covetous old sinner. Right, center. right. And, and so, you did that. As an artist, that's exactly what you want. But do you ever find every holiday scene, you've, you've been doing this for 48 years, do you ever find yourself becoming that character in the Scrooge well, that you've created? And what do, you, what do your grandkids and your kids say about that? <laughs> well, I think there's a little bit of Scrooge in all of us around the holidays. <laughs> yeah. I, I've said many times, I don't think there's an adult who hasn't wanted to hit Tiny Tim in the face with a lemon meringue pie. That kid is just too perfect, you too know. Perfect. But television tells us that the holiday season is just a perfect time. The turkey's perfect. The house is clean. The, you know, you're all quaffed and ready for the guests. And it's not like that. It's a very tense, nervous time, you know. It is. So uh, I, I think because there is that little bit of Scrooge in everybody, again, he's more accessible to us, particularly at that time of year. We go, yeah, I know just what the man feels like, you know. So, again, that, that makes it easier to enter into the storyline and to actually make the transitions with Scrooge. How, when do you start getting into character? Do you, in the, is it like at Thanksgiving, you know, the pumpkin pie, you go, hey, I got this, this guy to create. He, he meets me in the dressing room on opening night. Right. All right. I, it's like an old friend. As I sit in front of the mirror and make that transformation, he comes back. And every year, it's interesting to see how he's changed a ah, bit. That's my next uh, question. Because he does. He, right. he does change right. a bit. Again, because we try to add some topical humor to the show. People are always interested in seeing what, what we're going to do with that. Of course, this year, Christmas Future is a nurse <laughs> who, want, who wants to inject Scrooge with the Christmas spirit. And, of course, he doesn't know what's in the shot. He doesn't want to take it. So, again, we're, you know, we're drawing some parallels with right. the pandemic and COVID and how that's affected our lives. Uh, we didn't go live last year, you know. Mm -hmm. We streamed the show. So... My gosh, it's been such a delight to be back on stage this year. The cast is fully vaccinated. We rehearse in masks. We're tested twice mm -hmm. a week. And we're ready. I mean, we're just so happy to be back and, and to be able to be in front of a live audience again. Nothing I think like they're going to feel the same way. How did streaming what was your feeling on that? I mean, it's not the same. You know, you're a performer. You want to get the word out, but you're in that little box talking to another box so to speak yeah yeah and we really hadn't planned on streaming it at all we had a camera set up and back for mm -hmm. archival footage mm -hmm. so we had to really run it through some software so we could do close-ups and and you know wide shots and we were able though to add some special effects like oh. more smoke and fog and you know so that added to it uh but there's nothing like like 
being in front of a live audience and feeling that laughter come rolling over. You know, that's a that's the thing about drama and comedy. I mean, you can you can go up with a drama and and kind of fake it, but you can't fake comedy. They're going to laugh or they're not going to laugh. It's either funny or it isn't. isn't. So, no, I said you're walking a tightrope and when that laughter does come in, you know, you know, you've got them, you know, you're doing something right. They're trusting you and and you're taking them, you know, you're not jerking them around. You're you're taking them to where you want them to go. Did you always want to be an actor? Yes, I think I did. I in a in a show in kindergarten and sang "Somebody Loves Me" to a little girl I absolutely hated. <laughs> so you had to kind of fake it, right? You had to be a good actor. Yeah, yeah. you know, you know the old saying: theater is all about truth, and if you can fake that, you got it made. Oh yeah, and then it went on from there. I mean, right through high school and college, growing up in North Carolina, you had plenty of opportunities to do all kinds of performances. Did you travel as well? Oh, yeah. I went to L.A. and um, I took four of my plays to L.A. when I went. All four got picked up. One got optioned by uh, Motown. Uh, Ed Asner hosted a, a reading of one. It was it was an incredible experience. Now, I'm from eastern North Carolina, okay. so uh, there weren't uh, there weren't a lot of uh, possibilities for me in terms of theater. I was a future farmer of America, not by choice. That's just what you did in my high school. But a guidance counselor came to me once and said, David, you need to be with other crazy people. And I said, (laughs) where where would I go to do that? And he said, well, as a governor's school. Okay, right. I I went into our library. There were only two theater books in our library. I checked them both out. I called an audition piece out of both of those books. I auditioned for governor's school. I got in and uh from governor's school i auditioned for the north carolina school of the arts in 1965 my senior in high school that was the first year that the school of the arts opened so i attended school of the arts for uh, high school my senior year in high school and four years of college and during the four years in college i was acting uh in um, paul green's the lost colony on the outer bank so mm-hmm. North Carolina has just given me so many opportunities and it's great to to be calling North Carolina home still. Now you were a playwright before you were an actor. Is that right? Well, it, it kind of went hand in hand mm. when I, I took over as director of theater in the park. Uh, we couldn't afford too many royalties. So uh, <laughs> writing, oh. writing plays was the way the to best, go. Yeah. Shakespeare, you know, those are the two possibilities yeah. open. Did you like Shakespeare and Dickens growing up? Loved, yeah. loved Shakespeare. We did Hamlet, and we were told Raleigh would not cross the street to see Shakespeare. Really? Yeah, and uh, happily we played to, uh, I think it was uh, 16,000 people during the run of that production, it got held over. We, we did it outdoors in the amphitheater at the Raleigh Little Theater and actually moved inside for an extended run. The next year, we did Richard III at the Meredith College Amphitheater, yep. played to 16,000 people on opening night. So Raleigh loved Shakespeare and still does. As an actor and a playwright, what's the biggest challenge today, you think? Oh, to be honest honesty I think uh, feeling what you're doing taking the audience on a trip 
that matters to them, I think. Oftentimes, theater can be a dessert, Hmm. and I like for it to be a main course, and I like my main courses spicy. I like spices in my food. Your audience wants to be surprised. They, They want to shed their disbelief. They want to accept what you're doing. They want to go places with you and be moved emotionally. So I think, yeah, to do that, you have to have a sense of honesty. And the, because the audience has to trust you. Oh, yeah. You're, you're getting together, you know, with strangers in a dark place for two hours. And you're laughing and crying and purging your emotions. You know, the, the Greeks called it a catharsis. That's what you have to go through, through pity and fear. There are a lot of technical terms for it, but... It's still a lesson in applied psychology. If you give the audience a certain stimulus, they're going to they're going to respond a certain way. And it's 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 an amazing, mysterious, uh, wonderful cycle that happens. A Christmas Carol, almost 50 years of doing it. Which one stands out? Oh, wow. That's like saying, which is your favorite finger on your hand? Uh, Certainly opening night, the first the first year we opened in 1974 um, because in those years, most theaters were closed in Raleigh. And oh, I why? Just thought, yeah. I, well, most people just shut down and said, um, you know, we're home for the holidays. But those, when I got here, I, I thought to myself, no, this is a time that families want to go out together oh, and sure. do things together. Right. So we opened our theater doors and put a Christmas carol on and our seating capacity at that time was around 200 people. We had to sell the cushions off the sofas in the lobby to accommodate the audience. So uh, I think that night I knew this show was going to continue. I had no idea it would keep on for almost 50 years i had open heart surgery in 2010 and my oldest son ira david the fourth took over the role that year for me and now we trade off on on the roles i do one performance he he does the next performance i will retire from the role in two years and he'll take over the role full time i'll still direct as long as i can you know manage to do that so, um, but he'll, yeah, he'll take over. I said, look, I'll be 75 then. And I said, nobody wants to see a 75 year old man running around the stage. Yeah, but that was Scrooge though. Scrooge, that, that was, that's perfect in a way. It's, it's like I say to people, it's less makeup for me every year. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'll just be able to walk in the dressing room and get into costume, I guess. Um, your kids, you have kids that are actors, kids that are musicians, I was, I was reading. And one of your daughters, Evan Rachel Wood, an Emmy-nominated actress, um, did, did she ever participate in these plays with you? And was she, out of all your kids, the one you said, oh, this one, she's going to make it? I thought that, uh, well, we were interested in seeing where the kids would go. Mm. Uh, both of them, I mean, Ira now is a artistic director at Theater in the Park okay. and will probably take over from me. Evan is uh, finishing up another season of Westworld now. Uh, they both grew up in the theater. Uh, I didn't try to push them into the theater, but, you know, when the prop room is your playhouse and uh, right. 
you know, they, I, I figured it, it was going to be an easy thing for them to slip into it. And I can remember walking by the theater one day, the door was open, the uh, lighting designer was working on lights and Evan was just a little child and she had wandered in on, onto the stage and had taken a seat and she was making up a monologue. And when I walked by, I just stopped and leaned up against the door sill and watched her. And I said to myself, I said, this lady is to the manner born. She yeah. is going to be an actress. And then, of course, Ira started out with a television miniseries in, in um, Winston-Salem with Kelly McGillis. As oh, his right. Mom. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. So he actually started before Evan did. And then Evan kind of went in. Her breakout role was digging to China with Kevin Bacon, uh, with Timothy Hutton directing. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the movie 13, that was her real breakout role. So I'm very proud of both of them. They're doing a great job. I have a nine-year-old now. <laughs> so Keeping you on your toes. So you can't retire for your gig because that oh, keeps you young. Yeah. See. <laughs> They keep you moving, that's for sure. Right, right. I mean, do your kids call you for advice about acting still? Yes. I mean, we have wonderful conversations about acting. Uh, to me, it's it's a continual learning experience. When I learn something new, I love to share it with them because I know they understand where I'm coming from. Right, right. And uh, they teach me. Uh, they'll dad, what do you think of this? Or, you know, Ira will suggest a play for our season and I'll go, Oh my gosh, that's, that's a terrific idea. But yes, I love, I love really sitting down with them and talking, uh, from the heart. You know, I, I, we're having beautiful conversations now and I'm growing and learning from those. So that's a, that's a great joy. And it's good. I'm sure they're grounded in their North Carolina roots because Hollywood is a whole different animal. Oh. Eastern North Carolina. <laughs> yes, so those yeah. are probably some of the questions, right? Or maybe not. I don't know. Well, I think, you know, they they adapted very well. And I think that was the gift that theater gave them because oh. they grew up not knowing a stranger. They, the people in theater are a loving family. Uh, race, color, creed, nationality, sexual orientation, politics, all of it. They grew up exposed to so many things like that, that I think it was a very positive thing in their lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's wonderful to see how they have continued that growth. I'm talking with Ira David Wood, executive director of Theater in the Park, a community theater company in Raleigh, North Carolina. Now, after the holidays, then what do you have on, on plate? Rest. <laughs> <laughs> Just rest. Um, and then we start off our, our season again. Ira will be directing and starring in Greater Tuna. Okay. Then I will be performing as an old actor in The Dresser, which is a wonderful show. And uh, then we'll be doing a comedy about a Dixie swim club. Mm -hmm. then, uh, then The Father, uh, which is the, uh, you know, Anthony Hopkins won the uh, oh, yeah. Academy Award. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. It was a play before a movie. I'll be playing the role of the father in that. And hopefully there's an actress I know from L.A. who may come back and play my daughter in that one. Ah, yeah. not going to say anything. And then we do uh, Let the Right One In, which is a, a spooky vampire Halloween show. And mm -hmm. that'll round out our season. Going to um, A Christmas Carol for the whole month of December, what, what can we expect? 
the unexpected. You know, a lot of it drops into our laps the week before we open because, again, we do put in a few political, you know, current current jokes. Uh, I will give away one thing that I think is going to be a delightful uh, visual to the audience. We always start with a freeze. It looks like a Christmas card okay. where family groups are frozen. Uh-huh. The lamplighter, who's the narrator, comes and unfreezes them, and then the lights come up, and, and we're into the play. Oh, that's cool. This year, the f- people in the freeze will all be masked. They'll all have masks on. As they come to life, the masks come off, and that's the way we do the play, and I think that's going to be... Wow. A liberating, wonderful feeling for the audience, even though they will probably be in mask and they have to show proof of vaccination to get in. It's going to be a very safe environment. But that feeling that we are seeing light at the end of this tunnel, I think is very important. And I think people are ready to, to come out of the cocoons that, that we've existed in and to share the holidays with each other and within the safety net of Mm -hmm. that environment, they're going to be able to do it. And I think vicariously, anyway, the mask will come off in their own minds and they'll be, yeah. I'm in Raleigh and I want to see A Christmas Carol at your theater. How do I get tickets? Well, you go online. Uh, We'll be in two venues, Memorial Auditorium downtown, Progress Energy Center. uh, And we'll be at DPAC, Durham Performing Arts Center, so if you go online to either one of those venues, tickets are there, or you can go on our website, theaterinthepark.com. Okay. And that's T-H-E-A-T-R-E. We are theater, not theater. Got it. I'll write so. it up like that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for coming in today. This has been great. I, I'm a big fan. I'm... Thank you so much, and Merry Christmas to you. Same to you. You've been listening to Spotlight Conversations with Donna Reed. Subscribe on Apple and Spotify podcasts or your favorite platform. Thanks for tuning in.